Good evening. It's really, really nice to be here again. And um, uh, Dennis and I have had a wonderful week uh, in Port Townsend, Olympia, Tacoma, um, Seattle. We're going to Bellevue tomorrow. And um, it's the support and the love and the generosity of the citizens that just make this all so rewarding and re-energize us. And um, (laughs) we just go home really happy and go to bed each night very, very happy, too. So thank you all, um, our friends from uh, former visits, and welcome the new ones. And I know we'll be back and hope to see you again, and please bring your friends. Um, I'm a geoscientist. Um, that is a person who's a scientist who studies the earth and earth processes. The earth is like a big recycling machine. And uh, uranium is a an element uh, that is, well, uranium-238 is one of many isotopes of uranium. There are only three natural ones, and uh, they occur throughout the universe like fairy dust. And uranium is made in very energetic and violent star processes where other atoms are smashed together in a kind of a snowball. And there is tremendous amounts of energy in the nucleus. Um, Uranium dispersed throughout the Earth has been decaying uh, for the four and a half billion years that the Earth has been here. And these tiny amounts of energy, basically heat, have melted parts of the interior of the Earth and made it possible to have a magnetic field. It's also responsible for volcanoes erupting and for the continents moving around on the surface of the Earth, which is called plate tectonics. Um, uranium, which is uh, natural radiation, the, the isotopes that occur in nature, and um, the background natural uh, radiation is, uh, we have to say, natural background levels are pre-1905, because since then, man has been introducing man-made radiation and extra amounts of radiation into our environment. So when these cheating, lying DOE scientists tell you, oh, it's just, uh, you know, background radiation, they are forgetting to tell you about the many, many, many uh, higher levels that have been added since 1905. This is not uh, the the amount that living systems have been exposed to on the Earth. And what we know about uranium and other uh, radiation that occurs in nature is that over time it has caused mutations which facilitate evolution. In other words, they speed it up and help it. So I want you to remember something if you don't remember anything else tonight. There is no safe level of radiation, period. So um, I worked at two nuclear weapons labs, the Lawrence Berkeley Lab, which was part of the Manhattan Project, and where plutonium and other uranium isotopes were discovered in the the atomic bomb project was started, uh, which became the Manhattan Project. 
and um, the University of Chicago, um, Buffalo, New York, uh, the Los Alamos Lab. These all participated in the A-bomb project. Now, when um, World War II was coming to an end, the scientists at these, that the, in the secret program had built two atomic bombs, uh, one with a uranium core that they knew would fission and one with a plutonium core that they knew would fission, but they weren't really sure they would work. They just hoped they would work. And, um, and so they tested one in Los Alamos called the Trinity Test, and, um, and then just a few months later, they dropped the uranium bomb, Little Boy, on Hiroshima. And a few days later, the plutonium bomb, um, fat, fat man on Nagasaki. And, um, and the show was on the road. They said, this is fantastic. We want a nuclear weapons program in the U.S. And, um, the U.S. began, uh, a very secret and a very, very, very destructive atomic energy program. I'm sorry, um, atomic bomb program. Um, Over the years, uh, the U.S. detonated over 1,200 underground and above-ground atmospheric tests to test these bombs in uh, different amounts of of, uh, kilotons of energy. And... Uh, this is a map of the radiation measured on the ground by the U.S. government, which eventually spread all over the country, absolutely everywhere, carried by dust, rain, wind, uh, animals, us, you know, everything. And um, it, two years ago, the U.S. government admitted that every person living in the United States between 1957 and 63 has been internally exposed to radiation. This is the um, the radioactive iodine map, which the Department of Energy uh, made. You can go to the National Cancer Institute, type in the date and the location where you were any year, and find out the levels um, that you were exposed to. Now, um, don't think that they didn't know, because they knew exactly what they were doing, I have declassified documents about the um, the secret measurements of wild game at the Nevada test site from 1957 until 1981, and a declassified document, uh, which I just obtained in November. Um, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, had a secret dairy at the Nevada test site, and they measured radiation all through atmospheric testing and even underground testing to determine what the radiation levels were from bomb testing in the meat, the cows, the calves, the bones, the milk, the manure of the dairy animals located near Area 51. We had no idea that was there until um, an advocate friend of mine in Nevada called me in November and said, I just got these documents declassified. Now, this nuclear weapons program, which was only possible 
uh, because of the nuclear power program, which provided the plutonium, has had a devastating effect globally because that radiation from our bomb tests went all over the world. And lower orbital space today is still contaminated with uranium and uranium decay products from that bomb test program. Um, this is a, an article from the Journal of the American Medical Association. Uh, the World Health Organization did a survey of mental illness in countries around the world and published it last June. This is what that bomb testing did to us. Um, in Japan, 8.8% of the population has some form of mental illness. They have uh, 54 nuclear power plants, but they're built on the ocean, so they're fairly safe. In the Ukraine, where they had the Chernobyl accident, 20.4% of the percent of the population has some form of mental illness. Spain and Italy, it's 92 and 8.2%. Uh, France, which is 75% reliant on nuclear energy, it's 18.4%. Uh, Mexico is 12.2%, and the United States is 26.3%. Um, in the nuclear power program, uh, we I work with a group of scientists called the Radiation and Public Health Project. This is Centers for Disease Control Data. This is where two-thirds of all breast cancer deaths between 1985 and 1989 occurred. This is radiation coming out of nuclear power plants and nuclear weapon laboratories. Um, you can see up in this corner that uh, Hanford has contaminated almost more than two-thirds of the state of Washington. And um, if people are sick, you know why. Um, it gets into the rivers, into the fish, into organisms that are filter feeders and bioconcentrates it. And um, there's just no way to avoid uh, uh, exposure um, unless you know uh, where it's coming from. Um, dairy products and drinking water are the main pathways. This is... Um, a, a rough sketch of, uh, from a, a talk we just gave at the American Association for the Advancement of Science. It'll be published, and I can get it to you if you're interested in autism. Autism in the United States and in the state of California has increased sixfold since the early 1990s. And what we know now is from California state government data is that there was almost no autism at all in the state until bomb testing started. And um, autism began to increase, but when nuclear energy started producing electricity exponentially in the state of California, the rate of autism exactly matched that increase. And we now know... Um, that this same pattern is repeated nationwide. We can't look at the, um, the megawatt hours, so we look at the percentage of time that the nuclear power plants are operating. And in, 19, in the 1970s, the nuclear power plants around the U.S. were operating 50% of the time. Today, it's 95% 
of the time. These are old, leaky nuclear power plants. They're running them out to maximize their profits. It's killing our children. It's killing us. It's killing babies. And it's destroying the brains and the brain cells and the cognitive ability of our children. Um, this is uh, an article we're writing right now for newspapers, and we will be publishing it in scientific journals. I think this autism story is absolutely huge. We've collected 6,000 baby teeth around nuclear power plants, measured the radiation in them, and it's higher now than during atmospheric testing. Uh, today, this is from the Washington Post, July 6, 2002. The U.S. counts one in 12 children as disabled. That is the price that we are paying for the nuclear power program and the nuclear weapons program. This is complete insanity. What species kills its young for energy? What species kills its young for security? And what species, in what species do males kill the mothers and the children that they father? Depleted uranium is the radioactive trash from those programs. Um, and it was uh, proposed as for development as a weapon, a radiological poison gas weapon under the Manhattan Project in 1943. This is the secret, top secret Manhattan Project document uh, dated October 30th, 1943, which is the blueprint for depleted uranium weapons. Um, Dr. James Conant, who developed poison gas weapons in World War I, was chair of the Poison Gas Committee under the Manhattan Project. Senator John Kerry's father brought him into the Manhattan Program because he had developed poison gas weapons in World War I. Um, he... Um, was also uh, had Compton and Urey on that committee, very capable. Uh, one is a physicist, was a physicist, and one was a chemist. I'd like to um, read the description of um, what they wanted, what they knew depleted uranium would do as a very effective weapon. As a gas warfare instrument, the material would be ground uh, or for that. He was speaking about the fission products, but the depleted uranium is pyrophoric, so it burns into particles of microscopic size to form dust and smoke and distributed by a ground-fired projectile, land vehicles, or aerial bombs. In other words, dirty bombs, dirty missiles, and dirty bullets. In this form, it would be inhaled by personnel. The amount necessary to cause death to a person inhaling the material is extremely small. There are no known methods of treatment for such a casualty. It will permeate a standard gas mask filter in quantities large enough to be extremely damaging. 
as a terrain contaminant. To be used in this manner, the radioactive materials would be spread on the ground, either from the air or from the ground if in enemy-controlled territory. In order to deny terrain to either side, except at the expense of exposing personnel to harmful radiations. Areas so contaminated by radioactive material would be dangerous until the slow natural decay of the material took place. For average terrain, no decontaminating methods are known. No effective protective clothing for personnel seems possible of development. Reservoirs or wells would be contaminated or food poisoned with an effect similar to that resulting from inhalation of dust or smoke. Internal exposure. Particles smaller than one micron are more likely to be to be deposited in the alveoli where they will either remain indefinitely or be absorbed into the lymphatics or the blood. It could get into the gastrointestinal tract from polluted water or food or air, may be absorbed from the lungs or GI tract into the blood, and so distributed throughout the body. Now, it's all still true. They knew all of this in 1943. In um, 1913... I'm sorry, in 1918, when the British uh, were in Iraq, and of course it was for the oil, Churchill said, I am strongly in favor of using poison gas against uncivilized tribes. The moral effect should be good, and it would spread a lively terror. In 1913, uh, the British Royal Commission, agreeing with Winston Churchill's policy towards Iraq, said, we must become the owners, or at any rate the controllers at the source, of at least a proportion of the oil which we require. On September 25, 2000, President Bush, speaking in Beaverton, Oregon, said, it is clear our nation is reliant upon big foreign oil. More and more of our imports come from overseas. Now, in 1999, U.S. Brigadier General William Looney, in referring to Iraq, said, If they turn on the radars, we're going to blow up their goddamn SAMs, surface-to-air missiles. They know we own their country. We own their airspace. We dictate the way they live and talk. And that's what's great about America right now. It's a good thing, especially when there's a lot of oil out there we need. So, the development of depleted uranium weapons began in the 1960s. And it was with the collusion of Kissinger and Zbigniew Brzezinski, who were recruited from academia by David Rockefeller. The Rockefellers are very, very involved in all of this. And um, I'd like to remind you, our first chemical war for oil was Vietnam. And the Rockefellers were building oil refineries and aluminum 
uh, plants all over Vietnam while our soldiers thought they were fighting for democracy. Um, the, the first uh, testing of depleted uranium occurred in 1973 when the U.S. gave depleted uranium weapons to Israel for the Yom Kippur War and supervised their use during the one-week war. They were so successful that the, the development and the manufacturing of DU weapons went into full force. And 37 of our states are now contaminated from development, testing, deployment, manufacturing, and storage of DU weapons. Um, there are two places in uh, um, or in uh, Washington State, Battelle and uh, Ecolo USA Ecology, I think, at Hanford. So uh, you've got it, too. And, of course, uh, Indian Island has thousands of tons of DU weapons. Uh, almost all the DU weapons for the military are shipped through Indian Island uh, by the Navy on naval ships. Um, let's see. Um, what has this? Oh, this is just a great book. I'd like to recommend that all of you get it and read it or check it out of the library. This is the blueprint. It's, the, it's Brzezinski's book, The Grand Chessboard, American Primacy and Its Geostrategic Imperatives. This is what Brzezinski was developing for David Rockefeller and Kissinger was carrying out Rockefeller's foreign policy. Um, David Rockefeller provided the funds to start the Council on Foreign Relations, and the joke is that if you read their journal this year, it's U.S. foreign policy next year. And he gave the funding to Brzezinski to start the Trilateral Commission. In this book, it's very funny, this is just great, he has laid out the chessboard, the... Um, the uh, continental area, the continent's population, and the um, continent's gross national product. So uh, this is, uh, where is the loot? Here are the four regions uh, on the Eurasian chessboard that were of greatest strategic imperative for U.S. foreign policy. And the south region is exactly the region now very heavily and permanently contaminated with depleted uranium. And um, he also has a nice list here of um, Central Asian countries with uh, the mineral resources and the wealth and what, what we would like to steal from them. And, um, and then, of course, a list of the, um, the militaries in those countries uh, what kind of resistance do we have to overcome or defeat? Um, this, is, uh, this is a great map of which represents the oil reserves around the world by the size of the country. Um, the Middle East holds 53% of the world's oil resources, and the U.S. has about 5%. 
unfortunately, we're 5% of the world's population, but we're consuming 25% of the resources. And uh, we're living way, way, way beyond our means if we're going to stay on an oil economy. When I became a whistleblower at Livermore in 1991, um, the Western Regional Inspector for the Department of Energy said to me, as I, uh, after I had left the lab, he said, the nuclear weapons labs exist for the Pentagon, and the Pentagon exists for the oil companies. The, um, these, uh, these radioactive isotopes, unfortunately, are transported with viruses, dust, soot, pollution, bacteria around the world. And there are three major regions for annual dust storms, which transport millions of tons of dust and depleted, I'm sorry, dust and sand around the world. Um, this is a dust storm coming out of the Gobi Desert in Asia. This is loaded with radiation because the Chinese did nuclear weapons testing in the Gobi Desert. That's headed for the United States and, and North America, Canada. Um, this is a huge dust storm coming out of the Sahara and headed towards Europe. It's carrying Chernobyl uh, fallout, uh, Israeli nuclear weapons program radiation, uh, the depleted uranium from Central Asia and the Middle East, and, of course, the French nuclear testing from the southern Sahara. Um, all of the hurricanes that hit our east coast in the Caribbean come out of the Sahara. So all that stuff is transported across the Atlantic and ends up in our drinking water, food, and our bodies. Now, the DU is illegal. It's a nuclear weapon. This is the definition under U.S. Federal Code of Weapons of Mass Destruction, and I'm going to give you a pop quiz after I finish reading it. U.S. Code, Title 50, Chapter 40, Section 2302. The term weapon of mass destruction means any weapon or device that is intended or has the capability to cause death or serious bodily injury to a significant number of people through the release dissemination or impact of A, toxic or poisonous chemicals or their precursors, B, a disease organism, or C, radiation or radioactivity. Now, how many people in this room believe that depleted uranium weapons meet the U.S. Federal Code definition of weapons of mass destruction? Thank you. When I testified in December of 2003 at an international criminal tribunal for Afghanistan in Tokyo, the prosecutor sent me 14 questions. It took me two and a half months to answer them. Question 11 was, what does the U.S. government know about DU? The answer was 12 pages long, and you can read it on the Internet. Just Google question 11 and... Uh, almost every department and branch of the U.S. government knows about DU. They had cautionary memos. They had 
um, all kinds of, of uh, discussion, rules, uh, environmental impact, um, human hazard. Um, it's pretty clear that the U.S. government is fully aware, especially since uh, Bob Dole stood up in Congress in 1979 and said to the president and the Congress, what in the world is this silly notion of developing uranium as a weapon. He said, this is really crazy. Um, so, 340 tons were used in Iraq. I'd like to read to you what happened on the Mile of Death. The, uh, this is, these are the words of one of our veterans. Iraqi soldiers, whether they be young boys or old men, they were a sad sight, with absolutely no fight left in them. Their leaders had cut their Achilles tendons, so they couldn't run away and left them. What weapons they had were in bad repair, and little ammunition was on hand. They were hungry, cold, and scared. The hate I had for any Iraqi dissipated. These people had no business being on a battlefield. Those were Seymour Hersh's words in the New Yorker, May 22, 2000. And thank goodness for his coverage of uh, what has been happening in that region. The American pilots bombing and strafing with depleted uranium weapons, they they annihilated retreating Iraqi soldiers who had already surrendered. These are the words of a pilot. We toasted him. We hit the jackpot, a turkey shoot, shooting fish in a barrel, basically just sitting ducks. There's just nothing like it. It's the biggest 4th of July you've ever seen. And to see those tanks just boom and more stuff just keep spewing out of them. They just become white hot. It's wonderful. And if in Afghanistan, the same thing happened. These are the words of a farmer, Juma Khan of Lagman province, in March of 2003. After the Americans destroyed our village and killed many of us, we also, also lost our houses and have nothing to eat. However, we would have endured these miseries and even accepted them if the Americans had not sentenced us all to death. When I saw my deformed grandson, I realized that my hopes of the future have vanished for good, different from the hopelessness of the Russian barbarism, even though at that time I lost my older son, Shufikula. This time, however, I know we are part of the invisible genocide brought on us by America, a silent death from which I know we will not escape. Depleted uranium is a very, very effective biological weapon, and it is being used to destroy the civilian population in regions that we would like to control. In 1990, the United Kingdom Atomic Energy Authority wrote a report warning about the potential health and environmental catastrophe from the use of depleted uranium weapons. The health effects had been known for a long time. The report 
sent to the UK government warned that, in their estimation, if 50 tons of residual DU dust remained in the region, there could be half a million extra cancers by the end of the century, 2000. Estimates of depleted uranium weapons used in 1991 now range from the Pentagon's admitted 325 tons, and that's only bullets, to other scientific bodies who put the figure as high as 900 tons. A warthog shoots one and a half tons of bullets in one minute. That would make the number of estimated cancers as high as 9 million, depending on the amount used in the 1991 Gulf War. In the 2003 Gulf War, estimates of 2,200 tons have been given, causing about 22 million new cancers. Altogether, the total number of cancer patients estimated using the UK AEA data would be 25 million 250,000. In July 1998, the CIA estimated the population of Iraq to be approximately 24,683,313. Ironically, UN Resolution 661 calling for sanctions against Iraq was signed on Hiroshima Day, August 6, 1990. Does anyone in this room think that we are not using DU deliberately as a biological weapon? But what is happening is that what we're using over there is coming over here. And as a geologist, we know from volcanic eruptions that the ash is distributed globally throughout the atmosphere in one year. The smog of war over Kuwait and Iraq, which was there for a year after Gulf War I, was found in, uh, in the ice record deposited on the top of the Andes, Hawaii, uh, the Alps, the Himalayas, uh, the Antarctica, and Greenland. It's everywhere. And it's chemicals and radiation and, and bio, biological agents together. They enhance each other synergistically. Well, we want to know, we wanted to find out how much DU was being manufactured in the U.S. because we suspected the, the U.S. was using a lot more. Now, um, one of the Japanese physicists who came to our Hamburg conference calculated that 800 tons of depleted uranium, if it's released into the air, is the atomicity equivalent or the equivalent number of radioactive atoms as 41,000 Nagasaki bombs. We have released over a quarter of a million Nagasaki bombs equivalent radiation into our atmosphere. But what's even more alarming is um, that the McAllister Bomb Factory in Oklahoma, McAllister, Oklahoma, was applying for relicensing uh, at the NRC in order to be able to continue manufacturing DU weapons. And in order to maintain level one status, which they have to do to get relicensed, they must be able to ship 1,600 tons of depleted uranium weapons a day. That's 
that's 166,000 Nagasaki bombs of radiation. It's 20 train car loads of DU going out of that factory every day. It's only one of four U.S. Army bomb factories. And altogether, at all four bomb factories at any one time, they are allowed by the NRC to have up to 44,000 tons of DU on site. That's 4.5 million Nagasaki bombs. And what has happened to our soldiers, as you heard from Dennis, is that they've been devastated. Um, in August of, last August, in August of 2004, Terry Jemison at the Department of Veterans Affairs told the American Free Press that 518,739 Gulf era veterans are now on medical disability. In that same 14-year period, 7,035 were reported wounded in Iraq. Something is terribly wrong. These soldiers brought the depleted uranium home in their bodies, in their duffel bags, in, in their semen. They internally contaminated their wives and partners. The birth defects which the VA investigated in a group of 251 soldiers in Mississippi were deemed to be very, very serious in 67% of the babies born after the war and the, um, the soldiers' exposure. They were born with legs missing, arms missing, brains missing, eyes missing, organs missing, or horrible blood diseases. You can go to the live photo essay on the Internet. It's called The Tiny Victims of Desert Storm. And you can see these babies born with birth defects, with their families, and with the children who are normal, born before the Iraq War. It's absolutely heartbreaking. It's terrible. And the Pentagon absolutely hates that cover story. <laughs> I have newspaper ads that we paid for in the Washington Post before the February 2003, 2003 demonstrations, and they've disappeared from my papers. They come in my apartment and take documents all the time. So if anybody has that ad, I'd like to have it. Um, the damage to the brains of the soldiers is also very, very sad. Um, the, these nanoparticles of depleted uranium go, when they inhale through the nose, go through the olfactory bulb straight into the brain. It damages the impulse control and increases violence in the soldiers. Um, the University of Texas has been studying the brain damage to these soldiers and doing wonderful, wonderful studies, but uh, with terrible, uh, terrible uh, understanding of, of the impact of depleted uranium. And a few years ago, after Afghanistan, the war there, four soldiers came back to Fort Bragg, and within two months, four had murdered their wives. Um, these uh, nano-sized particles, this is a, a chart from the Handbook of Chemistry and Physics, which shows that the nano-sized particles of DU 
which are a tenth of a micron and smaller, form at very high temperatures they're round, shiny, hollow Christmas tree balls because I have a 1979 report from Battelle Northwest Labs with the photos in them. And um, this study was done for the U.S. Army. It was distributed to five pages of uh, people in the Pentagon. And, of course, they buried the report. And Battelle um, finally published it 20 years later in 1999. Um, these tiny particles, nanoparticles, have a separate effect from the chemical effect and the radiation effect. In a study on fish exposed to nanoparticles reported by Jim Thomas in The Ecologist, buckyballs cause brain damage and genetic changes in fish. Professor Gunter Oberdorster at the University of Rochester Department of Environmental Medicine reported the Teflon particles that were 0.13 microns in diameter, that's the size of a virus, caused no ill effects in mice. But when mice were exposed to nanoparticles, 0.02 microns in diameter, for just 15 minutes, nearly all the mice were dead within four hours. So you can see what a terrible effect these tiny particles have had. This is cancer. This is a cancer, and this is what normal tissue and, and blood veins look like. Cancer is just the tip of the iceberg. But in 20 soldiers who served in 2003 in Iraq, 16 months later, eight of them had malignancies. Soldiers who served in Bradley fighting fighting vehicles where they sit on the ammunition boxes came back with rectal cancer, the ones sitting on the DU munitions. Um, the the signaling, signaling mechanisms between cells that um, make life possible and help cells collaborate and cooperate in a syncopated dance uh, are damaged. These are the, this is a cell... The um, alpha particle from a depleted uranium uh, decay uh, can travel through a cell. This is the nucleus right here. It can hit the nucleus and damage the DNA, or it can miss it, but it is going to damage the signaling mechanisms and make 80 or 90 cells around it go haywire. The other thing that can happen is that in the cell, there are mitochondria, which are little jelly bean things. This is what nerves look like in the brain. And the signal comes down the, the nerve and then has to jump that gap. It's called the nerve synapse. And these little jelly bean things are the mitochondria that give it energy to make that jump. When the mitochondria are dysfunctional, the um, nerves do not signal properly, and it causes neuromuscular, neurological, and uh, other problems. And some of the diseases these soldiers have, especially in the Air Force and the Army, they are the biggest users of DU. They're coming down with Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's disease, Hodgkin's disease, chronic fatigue syndrome. This is all from mitochondrial dysfunction. Uh, also, 
soccer and football players have an epidemic of Hodgkin's disease and Lou Gehrig's disease. And what I believe this is caused by is the, um, the uranium in the phosphate fertilizers in combination with the chemicals in the pesticides. And the soldiers who, I'm sorry, the football players who are on the ground more have higher rates of these diseases. The first soldier to ever win a lawsuit uh, for depleted uranium exposure and birth defects in his children was Kenny Duncan in Scotland. He won his lawsuit after eight years in the courts on appeal because he was in this independent study in Germany by independent scientists. They measured and detected uh, chromosome damage. Urine tests do not stand up in court. This is the way they are hiding uh, this from the American public. This is called the HIPAA law, and doctors and medical professionals have been threatened all over the United States with a $10,000 fine and a year in prison if they say anything at all about returning soldiers. This is a World Health Organization uh, cover-up. Uh, Keith Keith Baverstock was a scientist for the World Health Organization, and after he retired, he released to the media his uh, very damning study on DU, and um, it revealed that uh, there's a whole lot of cover-up even in international organizations. However, in a on April 3, 2003, the World Health Organization issued a press release which announced that by 2020, 50% or there will be a 50% increase in cancer globally. So the World Health Organization knows something. Um, the reason they are using depleted uranium in different amounts in different countries is to test the radi radiological or the radiobiological effects of fourth generation nuclear weapons. The nuclear weapons program is going full blast, and it's also in new countries that never participated before. Uh, this is, now what are we going to do about it? This is a new film called Beyond Treason, and uh, it's about depleted uranium, but we wanted to show the history of treason by our government against American citizens and soldiers, and the declassified documents for the atomic veterans, for the MK Ultra mind control experiments, for, excuse me, Agent Orange in Vietnam and DU will be on a CD that is packaged with the DVD or the video. This should be out in a month or two. Um, there is a depleted uranium conference in the European Parliament June 23rd to 26th. They want to abolish depleted uranium weapons in all NATO countries. This is a very, very important conference, and it's because of our efforts to abolish depleted uranium weapons. We've been working, uh, I've been working five years, Dennis has been working three years, and other scientists and uh, international lawyers have been working even longer. Um, this is the obituary of Theodore Taylor. 
He was one of the premier nuclear weapons designers at Livermore Nuclear Weapons Lab, where I worked. Um, this was in the Washington Post, November 3rd, 2004. The Nuclear Control Institute mourns the death of Ted Taylor, our nation's most creative designer of atomic bombs and most steadfast advocate of their abolition. As a founding member of our board of directors over the past 23 years, he was resolute in opposing the further spread of nuclear weapons and in searching for a way to a nuclear-free world. His determination and vision were summed up in a favorite phrase, nuclear is different. A lesson the world is learning the hard way today. And I'd just like to read one closing uh, uh, paragraph, which I really love because it's Arundhati Roy. But, and this is from uh, The Algebra of Infinite Justice. But who is Osama bin Laden, really? Let me rephrase that. What is Osama bin Laden? He's America's family secret. He is the American president's dark doppelganger, the savage twin of all that purports to be beautiful and civilized. He has been sculpted from the spare rib of a world laid to waste by America's foreign policy, its gunboat diplomacy, its nuclear arsenal, its vulgarly stated policy of full-spectrum dominance, its chilling disregard for non-American lives, its barbarous military interventions, its support for despotic and dictatorial regimes, its merciless economic agenda that has munched through the economies of poor countries like a cloud of locusts. It's marauding multinationals who are taking over the air we breathe, the ground we stand on, the water we drink, the thoughts we think. Thank you very much.